0: Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast. This is your host, Kiona, and with me today I have Jacob.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: And we have two very special guests today um, the author of Console Wars and also the co director of the documentary on CBS All Access, also called Console Wars. We have Blake J. Harris. Hey, Kiona. Jacob, thanks for having us on. And we have the co director of Console Wars, documentary on CBS All Access, which is Jonah Toulis. Hey, how's it going? All right, and uh, thank you guys for coming on. We really appreciate it. So just to start us off, um, I kind of want to get like into the birth, if you will, of Console Wars, the documentary and sort of where it came from. Um, so Blake and Jonah, could you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, it's funny. So Blake, I mean, this is over nearly nine years ago, about eight years ago, Blake came to me. He's like, I think I found this interesting story. I don't know what it is. We've been writing partners for years developed ideas together. Um, he's like, I have this interesting story. It's about, you know, Sega taking on Nintendo. There's something there. There's nothing out there on it. There's something there I really think is interesting. And I, I looked at it, I was like, this is really interesting. And, you know, the more, you know, he had just started scratching the surface, but I was like, you know what? This is like the social network or, you know, you know, you know, know, could be a documentary too. There's so much great media. And we kind of both had the idea. I was like, you know what, let's just try all three of those. Let's try to make a movie, a documentary and a book. And if one of those turns out, we're we're in great shape. So, you know, time went on. We developed it further with our manager, Julian Rosenberg, the project as a whole, and took it to Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who we have a relationship with. And kind of for the first time in our careers, after that two-hour meeting, they were like, yeah, we're on board. We're going to, you know, help play with the book. We're going to help finance and produce the doc, and we're going to try to make this a movie. And, awesome. Um, we I'm were so looking forward ex- to that. It was, it was insane. It was the most insane moment of our lives. It was like in the same day, this life, life-changing, uh, uh thing again, then it was, you know, lots of years of, of complicated <laughs> developments. We set up the movie version at Sony pictures. Scott Rudin came on as an excellent producer, the social network actually. Yes. Um, but th- during this process, which is like a, I believe it was a two-year option period. They decided it'd be better as a TV series, which, you know, long form TV had really evolved, uh, at the time in the middle of the 2000, 2010s. And, um, That's- we agreed. We were like, you know what? We want more Tom, more Al. You could have entire episodes that occur in Japan. You could do so many amazing things in a TV series. So we were excited about that. And then throughout this process, the doc got delayed because it was so tied in VIP and there's financing involved. The book came out to great mm-hmm. success. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually we landed the the whole project at legendary pictures and CBS all access. And, you know, now we're for, CBS all Access's first original doc. And, you know, we're developing yeah. the TV series f- further. It's really exciting. First original doc from Legendary Pictures as well. I, yeah, I
0: really noticed exciting. that. Yeah, yeah, I did notice that. Yeah, Legendary usually just does features or, or just like a lot of action movies and a lot of. Yeah, comic they're movies. doing the
1: recent um, Godzilla series, the King Kong and Godzilla crossover movie. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: That's great. They do That's some awesome.
1: Bigger
2: TV too. They do some bigger TV, like Lost in Space. They have Carnival yes. Row on Amazon. You know, they're a huge, 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 huge uh, company uh, yeah. studio. I
3: mean, I think it's really just a credit to this story. It's certainly not because of us, but of course, it's the access that we were able to get and how we ended up telling it. But like, there's just something special about the Sega Nintendo battle. For those who live through it, there's a nostalgia factor. For those who like Absolutely. the business bangle, it's just this incredible, un- un- unparalleled business story. There's so much human element to it. For the gaming industry, it just chronicles this Wild West era that evolved from that into so much more of what we have today. And so you know, every step of the way, we realize how fortunate we are that someone like Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg are willing to work with us, and that Legendary is going to make an exception, and CBS is willing to make an exception. And it's just because of this incredible story that every time we've talked about it and pitched it, uh, people have been as enthusiastic about it as we are. Yeah.
1: I I was born in 1993 just one year kind of like slapped out in the middle of this console wars thing like I was like I think the closest um Sega product I had was like the Sega Pico that little thing that was for babies (laughs) and even I felt nostalgic watching this I felt that sense of nostalgia I felt I felt that sentimentality about this whole thing so yeah I loved yeah, I just I just really enjoyed this documentary just in general you know it really engaged me I thought you guys did a great job of getting me hooked as a non-gamer really um really getting me involved in this story and it was it was exhilarating it really was
2: part of the point was to sort of make a, a story for anybody you know a compelling story because you know we we even used to say you know Tom was running a, a paper towel company or a tissue company the story would be that compelling. He'd still be going down to Arkansas to, to get them in into Walmart. He'd still be running aggressive ad campaigns against this competition, and he'd still have that team of misfits who's pushing along the way. And in the fact that this is, you know, one of the two of the most iconic companies of the 90s, and you really see that, that why it's such an interesting story for us. Plus, we love that era. I know you didn't get to experience that much of it, Jacob, but that era was a special time you know, you look back at the footage, and you see Hulk Hogan, you see Vanna White, you see all these, ma- these like <laughs> magical people from that era, and you see the haircuts that the newscaster has. And it just brings you back.
0: Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I was I was born in 1981, so I don't really look it, but I was, and um, like the being around that battle between the two titans, and just like knowing that Nintendo, Nintendo, the the NES was my first uh, video game console, actually, so looking back on it and just imagining like, you know, sort of reimagining what it was like back then um, with Sega being the upstart and sort of the scrappy one and Nintendo just being the top dog and sort of on top of everything. They, it was so interesting to me because I became more of a Sega fan and actually the game that got me really into video games as I grew a, a little bit older was uh, Streets of Rage 2. Yeah, great. So like, that game, for some reason, it just captured my imagination, and I was like, "Okay, I want to I want to see more of this." Um, for me, Sega was sort of formative, even I think more so than Nintendo in a way, because like, although I love Super Mario Brothers, I mean, who didn't? Um, it was, you know, you could clearly see the delineation between Sega and Nintendo, and then plus they had all those ads the marketing for Sega was just amazing. Like Tom Kalinske and his team, um, Al Nielsen and everybody that, I read the book. I devoured that book, like it was just like, my God. And you know, the whole time that I was reading it because I was such a Sega fan back in the day, I was like waiting for the other shoe to drop and I just had this sense of dread. Like it was going so well for Tom and everybody. And I was just like, even reading it now, even knowing what happened, I was still going, oh my God, this is gonna get bad. It made me emotional. Oh, it really I mean,
3: did. Look, you, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, wh- I'm glad that it resonated with you that way. Especially yeah. because it was a character-driven story. Yeah. And you get inside these people's heads. But like, I- I'll be, I'll admit, I, I was crying when, like, literally, crying <laughs> for the final chapter. You know, part because I can't, couldn't believe it was ending. You know, that I'd finished this. But part, like, like what could have been? There's so yes. many ways that the story could have gone, and it's so sad. Yeah. Uh, I- that it ended the way that it did. Um, Funny, people
2: say that Nintendo beat Sega in this, but, you know, when you really look at it, it was Sega Japan who sort of undermined them and sort of ended
0: the run they had. Yes.
1: Here's what interested me most about the structure of this documentary, because it did kind of start off as a David and Goliath story, in a way. It started off, you know, Sega's, you know, it's the underdog, you know, it's more of Scrappy, and how, you know, they kind of, they were the ones to, the first ones to really to really um, confront Nintendo, to really uh, be a threat to them, you know, it was like, kind of like, it kind of like that, it was kind of like, it was easy to root for them, but then you went back, you show, then you show the origins of Nintendo, how they started off as a card company, and then they became this huge empire, so at first it looked like you were taking sides on this sort of thing, but it turned out you kind of weren't, and then you kind of, Uh, revealed in the end that it was Sony that kind of won the overall, (laughs) the the next console war, how Sony kind of stabbed Nintendo in the back after they tried to make their own um, CD-based console. And, you know, I liked that. It was was more of a celebration of video games in general rather than just taking a side to this sort of war, which it seemed like everyone had to do at that time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the really dynamic and interesting part about sort of why why we told the story that way was because I don't think a lot of people knew like us that, that Nintendo was, was operating like this, you know, they were, had antitrust regulations and, and, you know, they're, they're the people who spoke to us. They even said why they did that. And I think a big part of the reason we, we structured the film like that was first, we're going to show you a little bit of the Nintendo, you know, which is the magical Nintendo with Howard Phillips leading the way. Then we're going to introduce this new player, Sega, and how they're going to take on this Goliath. And then we introduce, Goliath as they really were, these sharp businessmen and how you know and then once you get on S- Sega side it's important to know that these guys were, were David themselves and they were they were fighting their own Goliath and the death of the entire industry and had That's their right. own battle ahead of them and you know yeah. hopefully that justifies some of the controlling things they did because of that. And, and we in and, that
3: respect I think we also to a degree, wanted to replicate our own experiences with Sega and Nintendo, you know, we very intentionally wanted the first five minutes of the film, which is, you know, largely a montage of the history of the gaming to reflect the childlike wonder that we felt growing up and opening Christmas gifts and thinking of Nintendo as this happy, smiley, awesome, Willy Wonka-esque company. And then as we actually started doing the research and saw, oh, they were at antitrust litigations, they used to threaten retailers, they were not very really kind to third-party developers, they strong arm other game magazine companies, and that was yeah. you know, taking a perspective that we're hearing, as well as just the historical, like, litigation records, you know, they were sort of the bad guy, and and that was until we started finally getting interviews with the Nintendo people, and we at least saw their side of the story, and so we want, we, we thought that our experience going through that was, was really um, eye-opening, and, and kind of wanted to express it that way as well because it is it is really fascinating that there's you know it's certainly a david and goliath story i mean when you go from five percent of the market to 55 percent uh when no one says you can even get like 10 percent that's that's a huge victory but it also as much as it feels like heroes and villains that i I don't think there's a villain in the story i see both sides heroes perspective.
0: yeah we do like try
2: we do at one point you might have noticed even shed light on okay is is Tom a good guy or is he a bad guy? Like later on in the film, you kind of say, oh, is he just sort of, you know, George Harrison says the best the music man going from town to town?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't
2: say that, but it's important to like look at it from that perspective and say, okay, maybe he's just, you know, the the, the best salesman. And, you know, I, again, I don't agree with that, but I think it's important to, to open up that door.
3: And I, and I think that also just says a lot about marketing in general. Uh, you know, yeah. Could be says it well, where he says, you know, if you think of, so you tell someone you're a filmmaker, they think of the best movie. You tell someone you're in, you're an author, they think of a good book. When you tell someone you're in marketing, they think of the worst ad that they've seen. And just the way that we think of marketing and advertising as dirty words, and that's understandable because of the you know v- big corporations throwing a lot of money at advertisements in a lot of ways. But marketing too is about messaging, and it's about how you want your customer to feel. And so in terms of Tom, he does go into town and make people feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. And you know you could make the case that like feeling that your identity should not be formed by transactional money you spend but also at the same time we all join tribes in certain ways and and we all sense for we all yearn for a sense of belonging and that was something that Sega very consciously provided so that was what made it really fun for us as storytellers to sort of confront what what marketing was and meet the men and women behind the scenes that were pulling those levers and really try to see it in the good ways and the bad ways
0: and it's interesting to see like how Sega started off with the Sega Scream and they kind of, you know, they came back at Nintendo with blast processing and and all that stuff. And then you see like and welcome to the next level, which was awesome. That that was a great ad campaign. I still remember it to this day. And then Nintendo came back with Play It Loud. And that was just like, even for me, for someone who like who had a Genesis and who was a Sega person, um, and also had an NES and had a super NES, I mean that got me to go out and buy Donkey Kong Country. See, and that's even... awesome to hear you say that because yeah. that's one that Joan and
3: I really struggled with in the film because um, in terms of Nintendo's culture and their identity, Play It Loud was such a big departure and it was. We equivalent of selling out. But at the same time, it was effective. Like they yeah. boost around 1994. So we wanted to portray it as like them losing their way. Yeah, but also at the same time say, but they, you know, it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't exactly but, bad. So you know, I think we're very happy with the balance that we struck. They, but good to hear that it, it even worked it.
2: for you. Yeah, yeah, also, yeah, Donkey Kong Country is also such a good game that I, I feel like lose. that yeah. helped push it a lot. But like, if you look back at you know in the archival, you know, you talk, you have sort of Don Coyner, um go up there and say they the sweaty nipples and butthole surfers of the music, <laughs> and you see, see. You see their ad campaign is Haka Loogie at Life, like. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to think of that in a wow, what a marketing, what what marketing genius is. But you know, when he
0: got, a lot of when he was up there and he said butthole surfers and sweaty nipples, I was just like, oh my goodness, that must have yeah, been uh,
1: like, the, shots fired. That is
0: the best. <laughs> that must have been the best moment in Nintendo's history up to that point. I love how out. they yeah.
1: didn't even try to be a diplomatic there. <laughs> <laughs> So, that was actually uh, crazy also, when
2: you think about it they departed in that one
1: yeah.
2: presentation they departed so much they said we're going to have the blood and mortal combat you yes. know where they admitted to being down and out and they basically introduced a you know good bs type of ad campaign it's yes. that, that, that's, that's, that's 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 those are huge steps for a company that doesn't change you know
0: yeah I, I was, that was them evolving with the times i felt
3: yeah it's also like interesting to think about it in terms of, you know, part of the reason, you know, one of the other reasons we structured the film the way we did is because um, Nintendo was not very responsive. You know, for a lot of time, they sort of just ignored the problem of Sega, which wouldn't have made it yes. back and forth because Nintendo was just like, oh, we're not going to force. Um, and as, you know, I'm sure has happened to all of us in life, when you sort of ignore the problem, eventually you have to pay the price. And when you do, you, you, are, you know, you sort of, Pay it in a worse way than the food just gradually done it. And that's how you end up with sweaty nipples and butthole surfers as a <laughs> more of a gradual reframing of your identity. But they were like almost like, all right, we throw in the white flag. We're just going to try to, you know, turn into Sega at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love in the documentary too how you have like a lot of the, the Sega people just kind of respond to that with just like, well, they became us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it's it's true. I have to say that it was pretty cool too that you guys actually started the documentary off with ralph bear yeah um you know like the father of video games and and him just saying like this is going to become a money maker in the future and everyone's just like oh sure you know and then of course it becomes this huge multi you know billion dollar industry and
1: yeah yeah. they even say at the end that um it's the video game industry is worth more than the film and music industries combined and so Mm-hmm. that's pretty amazing once you start thinking about like, wow, like it's only been, it hasn't been around nearly as long as film and music and yet it's worth this much. It's just absolutely insane to me.
0: And it's not slowing down what with the pre-order fiascos that we just saw too over right. the past week.
3: And th- that was some of the backdrop too, for the writing of the book in terms of style and how we wanted to tell the story with the documentary, because like I I've talked about in the past that early on for me, I remember uh, it must have been around the time that I that John and I first talked about this, and he had the idea to do the documentary, like going to a Barnes and Noble and just being shocked that there was a video game. Sorry, that there was a film history section, a music history section, but there was no video game history section, and there mm-hmm. wasn't even a video game history book in the entire Barnes and Noble. Really? So you know, there was a few that had been written, like some great ones, like Stephen Kent's.
0: All yeah, Stephen the Kent. History yeah, history. yeah so I have I'm that one. Sure that
3: have yeah. the first person to write a book about history of video games, but yeah. just that in terms of the fact that this medium was so much more successful, or not so much more, but it was becoming more successful and was obviously, you know, could go toe to toe with film and music. And yet you had hundreds of books on those subjects and nothing really commercially accessible for video games. We really wanted to tell a story that could be accessed by anyone, whether you love gaming or whether you didn't know enough about gaming so that it could be sort of that gateway drug to like get you into this world.
1: (laughs) That's kind of like you became marketers yourself.
3: It's so it's a great point. Yeah. It's a really good point. And we learned a lot of lessons from these people directly because, you know, it was easy for us to see ourselves as Sega. We were no-name filmmakers, just like they were no-name companies. And they believed that they had a good product and they had the right team and that they were in the right place at the right time and able to leverage the marketing skills to get themselves out there and try to help get their story known or get their product known.
0: mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm.
1: And we're, we're kind of seeing a similar war right now with uh, streaming, with uh, different streaming platforms like Netflix and Hulu and CBS All Access, even Disney Plus, and uh, lest we forget Quibi, <laughs> outrageous success that is uh, Quibi. That's uh, not that's definitely not going to be sold anytime soon. Um, but, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like like, can you imagine like a documentary in the future tackling the streaming wars?
2: 100 percent. yeah i mean i think that it's a similar thing where these these companies are doing battle they're killing each other off but they're also making the other companies you know work harder to create better content for the consumer so that you know people are you know we have such great shows on the air because amazon was trying to figure out what netflix was doing and then hulu was doing the same thing and Mm -hmm. you know when you look back at it it all started you know you had house of cards and you know it's 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 okay. All the show
3: go, or you a, a, or House
2: of Cards that started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I love. Our I love to see. It. I even the like
2: composer to... of the doc, by the way, did House of Cards the, the music and the theme.
1: Um, oh. Our
2: composer Jeff Beal, he's incredible. If you really, uh, if you do a second watch, really pay attention to music, yeah. it's
0: very really cool. Really special. Cool. Really special. Yeah, the music is awesome. Yeah, and any movie that has or, or documentary that has block rock and beats in it, I'm just like I'm there. <laughs>
1: I was going to say, uh, CBS All Access, they're even trying to um, correct themselves, trying to move forward in the streaming business by um, uh, the, uh, CBS, they originally merged with Viacom and soon CBS All Access will be known as Paramount Plus. So, Paramount Plus, yeah. Yeah, that is kind of a, it's an interesting step in the right direction. It's, it's like they're finally trying to be taken seriously um, in this field and you know I hope, they're successful. I hope that this is a necessary step, you know what I mean? So we can, all, we can get more cool documentaries like this.
0: I'm glad that they're going in the direction of original programming, too. Like, having your documentary on there, too, is really, like, that's a that's a great thing. I mean, you look at Netflix, they have documentaries at the wazoo, so, you know, we need yeah, more of that. CBS, been of CBS well. has been great. CBS has been
2: great. Yeah. They, you know, kind of really let us uh, make the film we wanted to make. You know, they weren't, it wasn't as you know the studio that is intrusive, like in TV and film, is as, as you hear about. They let us make our own film, and and they're and you know they're really putting a lot of marketing behind it. Um, you know, I'll yes. be going on a website and I'll see a banner for Console Wars. I'm like, wow, like <laughs> you know, this is a, this is a documentary. This is uh, this is great to see. I mean, it's uh, a great,
0: it's it's a great visual too. Like Console Wars, that's going to grab some people's eyes. You know what I mean? Like especially those who did not live through that.
3: They, yeah, they've done an excellent job with the marketing, and like I think a good indicator of what it's like to work with them and why they have, you know, why they're going to seemingly bring other, be able to bring other great content under their umbrella is like Jonah and I, we had already sold the film rights, uh, the film and TV rights to CBS All Access with Legendary. And so this TV show was going to be there and it was unclear if we were going to be able to feel uh, unclear if we're going to be able to finish the documentary. And we mm-hmm. met with them and we were told, you know, the best case scenario of this meeting was that it would start a long dialogue that maybe one day would lead to them doing the documentary or letting us finish this thing we've been working mm-hmm. on. But they'd
2: never done it before. Yeah, because yeah, they'd yeah. never yeah. done it before. Yeah. And like, like even
3: if they were like, yeah, we love it, what are we supposed to do? And to their credit, within 24 hours, they loved it and they got back to us and their response is the response that you always want to hear from any partner in any walk of life where it's like, let's just figure it out, you know, like, yeah. like like let's not let precedent get in the way. Let's try something new because we think there's something cool here, and you know those are the people you want to work with. And that that was yes. very Netflix's mentality to help get them on the map. And so I uh, you know I, I'm very bullish on Paramount Plus slash <laughs> You know have only good things to say about our
2: experience with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Le- yes. Legendary had brought in. We had already shot. You know, had a, a rough cut of the film, and Legendary brought mm-hmm. in Doug Blush, who is. Uh, you know, top top editor in the field, has has edited three Academy Award-winning docs. He was our supervising editor and a producer, and he basically saw it and was like, "Oh, there's something here. We got this. We're, this is a home run." And sort of that that he was really instrumental in pushing it forward so that a big studio like that would get involved with a project that you know is is under you know the hundreds of millions of dollars they spend <laughs> on TV shows and films. The uh, the
0: the editing in that is very 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 cool like, I love the little animated sequences too. Those were really great. Um, And of course, like we said, the music is just top notch. Um, I think that one of the things that I saw in the book and the documentary was the fact that, um, you know, Goodby uh, had gotten the the marketing contract basically for Sega at the time to do Welcome to the Next Level. And I remember reading in the book how, you know, that was kind of approached where it was like, okay, they came up with welcome to the next level as their catchphrase, but they didn't have anything else. And Tom and everybody were, they seemed to be really set on the other marketing company um, that had done Nike, I believe it was. And they, Yeah. yeah. And so like, and reading that in the book and seeing like the, the kind of gamer speak that they came up with. And I was like, Oh, if this had gone through, I don't know, like seriously, like I'm glad that they did not choose it because that right. was a that would have been a disaster, I feel. Yeah, it would have been too so, niche. Oh my gosh. Not not that, you know, not not to put any shade towards anybody or anything like that, not to throw shade on anybody, but it's just that like you well, can that tell was welcome
3: great right about this era
0: that back then yeah. like something and it didn't mean that you disliked the thing
3: that you weren't choosing. Like, yeah. Like, you could like Sega, and it didn't mean, oh, I hate Nintendo. No, I just like Sega more. I like Nintendo more. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And and Goodby was better than Wyden and Kennedy, and certainly an upgrade from the Bozell-Jacobs relationship that they had had.
2: Yes,
0: yes, yes. And they were local.
2: Goodby was also a local agency, and that's something they wanted. They were in San Francisco. And, you know, there's one clip we could never figure out how to get it into the sequence. We had versions of it, but it always felt like a departure. Uh Whereas part of their pitch, they... They hit golf balls off of, oh, yeah. uh, off off of the roof of uh, their headquarters, and you'd see them hitting the Sega doors uh, in the that in the is great, and it was like, oh, we're just you know uh, swing away.
1: <laughs> and I loved. them. Um, I just loved how when they showed how bitter um the rivalry could to like, do you guys. Do you believe the conspiracy that Nintendo gave uh, Sega games to the Senate to show them how violent they could be? Because yeah, that was kind. Yeah. Con-
2: Yes, I think 100 percent that was the case. I bet, um, I bet they did, and they were pretty close with their their what Slade Gordon was their their yeah, send yeah. local senator, yeah. and That's they were pretty right. close at the time because he they were about to lose the Seattle Mariners, and this was a storyline that sadly got cut from the movie, but they were about to buy this they they were about to lose the Seattle Mariners, and Slade Gordon convinced yeah. you know you know Howard Lincoln and and Aracara to get Nintendo to buy the team, and and they did, and they had that relationship with the senators, and I'm, it's almost. It's almost certain a certainty that they yeah. sent the videos.
3: Yeah, I mean, Howard Lincoln said essentially as much in our interview with him, um, which, but, you know, but it was a response to a question, so it wouldn't have made sense for us to include it there, but we would we mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have included Tom suggesting and Ellen Beth suggesting the conspiracy theory if we didn't know that there was credible evidence to back that. Right, that. right,
0: right. Remember, yeah, uh, professional. Well, it seems like, you know, they... They were playing politics basically at the time and i think that that was you know it was kind of in their best interest to do so because like they were really trying to like they were saying like you know what they were saying was not untrue they were like hey you know we censored this stuff and uh and that's kind of what you're calling for and we would never have night trap on one of our systems so it was just like you know looking back at night trap now and looking back at mortal Kombat now it's just like wow that that you know have any of these guys ever played last of us 2 because uh, that would probably give them heart palpitations but um well that's why
2: it's funny to see them arguing so seriously in a congressional hearing about this because they're they're arguing like this is the end of the world and and in fact this is nothing compared with what's to come but it yeah. did help it did it did force the rating system to go forward so there was yes. a, there was a purpose to yeah. this and and the rating system something we everyone we need and still need you know
3: Yeah, Yeah. and like it's 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 interesting in a couple of ways. One is that Howard Lincoln did say we'll never have a game like Night Trap on our system, and they released it on the Switch like three years ago. It is. It was the game.
1: Uh, Night Trap.
0: Night Trap. They they
1: they had that on the Nintendo Switch.
3: Yeah,
1: I did not know that. What you mean,
3: it wasn't super popular, but yeah, but like it it shows that Nintendo has uh, loosened their belt a little bit. Yeah. And then also, like, it's Jonah's not- point, like, you know, I think in, you know, most people, regardless of your political affiliation, don't like the idea of government regulation in different yeah. industries. But yeah. I think that we, you know, seemingly a case of government working for all of us is that it caused the self-regulation. So they didn't mm-hmm, end up mm-hmm. moving forward, but their threat of doing so led to Sega and Nintendo having to work with each other and, and figure this out. And I think that. There's little dispute that that was a good thing for us all. Um, I, you know, that the creation of the ESRB.
0: Yes, yes, and I think that it was. Um, I I think that a lot of it, a lot of the credit too, seems to go to uh, Kolinsky and everybody at Sega because it just seemed like that was something that he really wanted to get out ahead of, and um, just well, kind was, of like.
3: It's real irony. We didn't really get. We weren't able to get that much into it in the movie, but like. Yeah. Howard Lincoln was correct that they would never put violent games like that on the Nintendo system so that they maybe needed a rating system, but Sega already had a rating system. So the next yeah. of the hearings was like, Sega already had a
0: rating system. I, I remember ever- that. I remember the old Mortal Kombat 2. Yeah, Yeah, I remember the old Mortal Kombat 2 box that had, like, the, the MA-17 or whatever on it. and <laughs> So, yeah, it's... Um. It was nice of it. It was a good thing to see them work together and develop the, you know, to make the ESRB come come to life, basically, and to have like an industry wide standard. Um yeah. for all that does to help people. I, I mean, like, I I have I have worked in retail selling games, and I've had like multiple people and grandparents and parents who come up to me and just are like, going to buy this, you know, buy like Grand Theft Auto, Call of Duty for like their their little seven year old, and I'm just like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. I mean, are, are you really sure you want to do this? But, you yeah, know. They're
1: like the kind of people who will bring their seven-year-old to see Joker. Yeah. That's yeah.
3: Which is like, look, if they want to do it. But hey. Right. But all the ESRB does and why I think it's great, you know, some people say it's censorship. It's not. It's just. It's, it's a not. Con- no. I mean, yeah. You know, the grandma could say, that's fine. Yeah. Look, let's get this violent <laughs> uh, seven-year-old. Okay. But like, at least they're aware. Uh, yeah
0: Yeah. at least at least (laughs) you know yeah at least the guide is there so you can say like well this is what you got but um but anyway yeah I mean I really think that it's uh it's it's interesting to see how the industry has turned from that like it's it seems to have made that hard left into basically whatever you know just the the violence and and everything that's gone into games now but it seemed to be something that like maybe a lot of people, especially back then, did not want to really deal with. Um, like perhaps they, not not that they didn't want to deal with it, but just that like that was something that they didn't really want to have in their games. Like Kalinske kind of wanted to, you know, not really have that on a Genesis game. And, and Howard Lincoln and everybody at Nintendo certainly didn't want to add to that sort of content. Right. But, um, I don't know what I was really going with. No, there, man, I, think, anyway. I think
3: maybe part of what you're getting at that you can correct me if i'm wrong is that there was a sense of corporate responsibility they say yeah. dealt with it in different ways but the way that you know tom proactively wanted to have a rating system or at least was willing to work with Nintendo eventually to after the Senate hearings like you know that that's very different than the much more um than than, than what happens in like the social media companies today where yeah. they have much more of a Libertarian, do whatever you want. We're just the platform provider here. Attitude, and you know, Tom or Howard Lincoln could have had that attitude as well, and maybe some people would prefer it. But the majority <laughs> of people seem to prefer some 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 sort of sense of responsibility, or at least trying to do something before yeah. it gets too late. Where I think it feels like too late with social media and, and other industries.
0: And not to say that you can't have violence in video games or anything like that, because I think that you can, but. I mean, obviously, you know, I love Last of Us, too. I love Final Fantasy VII Remake. So, I mean, it's just like, you know, right. I love Donkey Kong Country and I love Streets of Rage, too. It's like you can have both, but yeah. at least the, at least there was a guide to where parents could say, like, okay, you know, maybe I don't want this in, in my in my house for my kid or something. But, like... Um, It was really interesting, too, to see like and to meet all these people that I didn't really know about back when I was, you know, just a kid playing the Genesis and playing the Super NES and stuff and and seeing like more of Howard Lincoln, more of Tom Kalinske, because I knew of them from reading magazines at the time. But I didn't know anything about Al Nielsen. I didn't know anything really about I I knew a little bit about Howard Phillips, but not too much. Bill White, um, you know, Ellen Beth and Buskirk and like, and everybody that was involved with the creation of Sonic and all that. Let's talk about that because that was like a huge thing. Sonic versus Mario Um, where, so you had like mall tours going on for Sonic and everything because I lived in Hawaii when I was a kid. So I did not see any mall tours obviously, but like, (laughs) you know, we uh, just, it's such an interesting time because that's the kind of thing where I don't think you would see that now, um, except maybe virtually you know, like just handing out demos on, on PlayStation network or what have you, but.
2: Well, I think the marketing now is obviously much more targeted, you know, using, you know, the web and phones and Instagram and Facebook. Back then it was like, you had to go on the ground where the kids were and where were the kids? They were in malls. They were in, uh, you know, they were, this is where they were. And that's how you you got to the kids. And, you know, you set up demos and you got people excited and then you got them to get their parents to, to be get excited and you get, get to the older brother to get to the younger kid, you know? It, it, that was the, the strategy, and and with Sonic, they knew they had something special. They developed this. You know, there was there was it, you know Al Nielsen was a big part, obviously, you know Madeline as well, um, who's not in the dock. Um, and it was it was you know Sega put something on their plate, and you know it's funny you see some of the other options. And could you imagine if they went with the egg instead of uh, Sonic? They went with that weird egg guy. Like where would we be today? There would be this egg moving around kind of fast. I can't picture that egg going going slow going fast so maybe this slow egg going through you know uh green zone
1: <laughs> now um, even uh, sonic was supposed to have a girlfriend named madonna, madonna.
2: yeah 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 i mean it, it, they I, like they we got, can't use
0: that name here
2: yeah shinobu shinobu was even like this person, what are we doing here <laughs> and then the rock band and you know they kind of came and they smoothed them out for american audiences and you know again giving them away with the system was was a big part of it as well to make sure that you know every system had sonic with it so by having a genesis you had sonic already
0: yeah and
1: it was cool but when um they debuted sonic the hedgehog too. they said they were going to debut it as if it was a movie yeah. kind of like they kind of like a big event you know and just like having all these different venues and all these different you know like these big on stage and they had um uh teenage uh celebrities introduced these <laughs> they games.
2: literally got every um, teenage star from the era they got they got joey lawrence they got uh Jonathan Jonathan Taylor Taylor thomas, thomas uh they got who else was in that mix it was Screech. it was everybody yeah uh, was oh, a big boy. part of it yeah yeah. And, Diamond,
3: yeah. yeah and like this is uh you know jacob you're too young for this but Kiana and John I remember like yeah back then like, game before Sega did that, games came out like TBD. Like, if sometimes yes. we come out in this store and sometimes we come out in this store, like, there was no like release date, let alone a global launch date like Sonic 2. And Sega did it, like wanted it to be like the film industry because that would give it more res- respect and integrity and also just the anticipation. Like, we all, there's a lot Sonic of Sonic Tuesday, and- man. I remember
0: yeah, like, Sonic the- Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, that was a big
2: deal, <laughs> and when yeah. you look at the archival from around the world, it really was the kind of event that 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 you expect. You had you know a French kid, uh, you had you know Japanese I mean, kid say, I, "I forget exactly the translation." <laughs> Sonic is super. <laughs> <laughs> maybe super. Maybe yeah. just, Sonic is super. Sonic is super. Yeah, and uh you just you actually can kind of see it in these kids' eyes how excited they are and how happy they oh, are yeah. about it. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I also liked, um, speaking of um, recordings of kids, I loved how you showed what was the dominating console at the time with um, home movies of kids opening their Christmas presents versus the Nintendo. And, and then it was a Genesis and like, the kids are freaking out. They're excited. And then it culminated in the PlayStation after they PlayStation. showed the E3 <laughs> conference after the guy went on the stage and he said two ninety nine, And then they showed um, the kid unwrapping his gift it's- and there was a PlayStation Steve. and then that was just kind of like the death it was like the final nail on a sega's coffin
0: steve race man like what a gutsy individual like seriously going into the lobby of the hotel and deflating all the sonic balloons Dude. oh that was
1: great that so was just- like, man, I, we, I was
2: we, like we love steve race he's one of our he's like i mean i think he is he's fascinating character you know one thing that got cut from the film is he is actually at atari in marketing before all this. And he, we, we, part of the Atari section, he had sort of a nice role, but it didn't quite work out, but he's kind of been everywhere. You know, he was at Atari, then he was at Sega, then he was at Sony and obviously Rebot he, he did that very controversial commercial that sort of launched the Rebot oh, yeah. pump. Yeah, the Rebot um, pumps, to, oh my God. Sometimes you just gotta, you know,
0: go for it. And that's what he does. <laughs> I love how he was like, and by the way, these pumps didn't do anything. You know, if He's anything, so they made rough. the shoe less comfortable.
3: <laughs> he was like, <laughs> I deceived you, world. Thank you.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. He's that had some truly... of the
3: best
2: lines in the movie, too. The one about his wife. I forget the exact wording, but it was like, my wife always told me that I can't get a broken heart because I don't have one. Well, I guess that's just how I go about life. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What a character though. I mean, like, yeah, it's, uh, it's just amazing. And then, you know, of course he, he led the most successful console launch of all time, pretty much, or the most successful console ever. So what does that tell you? It it's. Well, he did also
2: get removed. He got fired, I believe, or let go about a month after the launch.
0: That's true. That is true. Yeah.
2: So so it's complicated. It was a great launch, but you know, obviously the tensions were high.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure, given given yeah, what he I seemed to like, think of. You
3: know, one of the yeah. larger themes of the movie is that Nintendo is in its own category. It plays a different game than Sony and Microsoft now and Sega and Sony then, in that like Sega and Sony both had really short-term thinking and had short-term successful bursts, but also were willing to fire or stop listening to mm-hmm. you know, people based on very s- small sample sizes, where <laughs> Nintendo, a lot of those people, we're still with the company when we began working on this that had been they been with Nintendo for this long time. You know, they were part of that inner circle and they there was less, you know, fickle decision making for better or for worse. I mean, it did lead to some interesting things from Sega and Sony, but It,
0: it really know. was it really was a case of the tortoise and the hare. In this case, it was just like, you know, Nintendo just took it slow and steady and they eventually came out on top of basically they beat Sega and even with, like you said, even with Sony, it's like they're playing a different ball game anyway. So things are, you know, Nintendo, and I, I have to say, I haven't given a whole lot of credit to Nintendo and I have to say that, it, that that like Nintendo is great. I mean, they're they're a fantastic company and I love them. And without them, we wouldn't have the video game industry as it is. So, yeah. you know, all the credit goes to Nintendo, of course, for for actually surviving through everything that they survived through basically and, and, and reigniting the the flame of the console industry and the video game industry, uh, you know, after the crash. So.
2: I always think about them, you know, in, you know, they, they obviously strayed away with the marketing and sort of some yeah. some other aspects, blood and mortal combat, but you got to remember in 1995, they didn't rush N64 to market. They waited, no. they waited till they had the game they waited and they, they studied their course and they were back to their, their focused ways of, of doing business. And, and that, that was, that it just shows that no even when they fall go off course they're going to come back you know and Uh, and that's also a
3: a, a case of like corporate responsibility like i'm sure that they would have sold a lot out of the gate Mm -hmm. but they didn't want to sell a system that they couldn't deliver what they promised to their customers
0: Mm -hmm. Mm because they
3: cared about you know the long-term brand value of nintendo and we're just going to take the quick buck for that quarter they wanted to make sure that it was ready when it was ready. And that, that, that's a costly decision oftentimes, but also sort of a very respectable one.
0: Now, a quick question for you guys. Do you think that anyone at Nintendo or anyone at Sega still holds a grudge a over the console wars?
2: Yes, I would say yes. And specific people more than others, I won't name names, maybe like, well, but I think it's a, it's, it's, it's less of a grudge. It It's a grudge, but also just, you know, you, you do have to remember, though, this was also the best time of all their lives, business yeah. business wise. Yeah, and, and for so the they look back at it fondly, but also like this was their time, and they were shining, and then the people were poking them, and you know, making it. You know, you could only see color when you hit your head with a dead squirrel, and sort of. I think it wore <laughs> on them more than anything, <laughs> and uh, but again, they still all look fondly back on this time, even during the sort of the rougher stretches.
0: I love that, though. I, I love the fact that you could see it on some of their faces. Like, you could totally see the, the like, oh, my god. I can't believe they did this to us or something, you know? Like, it's, it's really entertaining to see that, basically. And um, I think that uh, just both of them really, I think they gave it their all, though, I have to say. Like, maybe Sega a little bit more, because they had to go from the bottom to the top. But it just, but Nintendo, when they fought back, they really, they were fierce. Fierce competition. Only it's, it's all good for the consumer. Well, that's the key. That's the key. It, it all makes the games better,
2: and it makes the systems better, and then, oh. you know, consumer wins, and that's what's still going on today. They their, yeah. their fighting led to where we are today.
0: I love the fact that Microsoft just bought Bethesda as, like, you know, it, it's like a thumb in the eye of Sony right now. And um, okay. I was one of those guys, by the way, who signed up for the, for the PlayStation 5 pre-orders from Sony. Like, I, I gave them my gamer ID, I never got uh, an invitation from them. So I guess I'm too Xbox positive on Twitter or something (laughs) because they never invited me back and I'm going to hold them to that. I'm going to be like, Hey, Sony, you guys never invited me back. What's up with that? But anyway, so they're vetting their consumers now, which is interesting. Um, And I I thought that the shot that Microsoft took at them when the pre-order fiasco was going on and Microsoft was like, Oh, by the way, we're going to put ours up for pre-order on uh, this certain date. We'll tell you the exact date and time. And, you guys won't have to do any guesswork, so, yeah. I miss
3: that. I miss the little jabs of each other.
0: Me you too. Know?
3: I think it, it's, it's a good thing. As long as, as long as people are being respectful to each other. And, yeah. I mean, we, we, online doesn't help with the, that, but, you know, <laughs> don't be a jerk to another person, but a good old-fashioned, <laughs> fun-spirited rivalry is a, is a win for all in my <laughs>
0: Howard Lincoln doing a doing the roses are red poem and you know and and Tom Kalinske doing all of his doing all the marketing and stuff. The blast processing was like my favorite thing ever because it's so funny to hear them just say like, yeah, that was totally made up.
2: <laughs> um,
0: so you know, like like I said, I'm such a huge fan of this stuff. I love it and reading your book and just and seeing the documentary and everything. It just like it took me way back and it just made me miss that. Um, You know, and I wondered, like, what would have happened if Tom Kalinske and everybody had continued at Sega? What would have happened with, like, the Saturn or the Dreamcast, which was actually even more so than the Genesis. The Dreamcast is my favorite system of all time. Like, I love the games on that thing. Um, But I can only imagine what would have happened had that team stayed on and actually marketed that console, because I think they would have had a winner, and I don't think they would have gotten out of the hardware market
2: well, I don't think idea. Japan wouldn't Japan wouldn't have let them though market the way they wanted to. It was That's over. True. It was over once once sort of they started to become underbined, They couldn't they couldn't use their tools to market things properly and yeah you know, and and it, it was over. That's why they left. You know, it yeah. wasn't like these people were fired. It, they left because it was like their time was up.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah, I mean, it's like the Dreamcast is a great example because the you know the scope of our film is really largely like nineteen eighty five to nineteen ninety six specifically mm-hmm. nineteen ninety to ninety six the sixteen bit battle. And so someone, you know, you'd be like, oh, why did, you know, it doesn't cover Sega actually exiting the hardware business. And that's true, you know, technically, but, but that SOA, SOJ battle is, is yeah. such a big part of it because the Dreamcast in my opinion is the best Sega console ever made, or at least it's a great one. You know, I, I, I don't know, I can count on one hand, the number of people I've ever met it's, in like the Dreamcast. And that's the, that's the console that made them leave the business. Like how, yeah. Like when's the last time that someone did something really awesome and seemingly successful that like that. And they're like, that's why I'm quitting. Cause it didn't go well. It's, it's awesome so
0: that. much better than the Saturn was it. it just yeah. really But like the Saturn mm. just dug them into a hole. I feel like, you know, and then 32 X didn't really help much either. It just, oh. uh, yeah. We had touched yeah,
2: more on 32 X and another version of the, the edit, but it was sort of feeling redundant to the Saturn. So we kind of just used it yeah. as sort of part of the, the, we called it the throwing things against the wall to see what would stick <laughs> section of the uh, Sega sure. Sega Rise,
1: um, yeah, uh, wow. At least they, at least Sega, at least they went off with a bang after you know such a rocky. Is that like like even they, they got off even they, they even got off on a pretty rocky Star like the Sega Master System you know that was, was that notable was that a noble console in any way was that,
0: I think. Any- I've known people who had it and who loved it, so.
1: Well, it wasn't just the poor man's NES? No, it
0: was,
3: I mean. That's some good games. Like, like, yeah, it had a cult following. <laughs> but, like, yeah. you know, it was a poor man's NES in terms of if you looked at any metrics of like, how many consoles were sold. But yeah. it, was, it wasn't, like, an inferior NES. It wasn't, like, it, it really did have some cool games um, that would make somebody happy to own it.
2: But it didn't have Mario. And that's, oh, I think, not. a real critical part of it. Yeah, and I it didn't actually, have a marketing team behind it. It Didn't have it was it was sort of a licensed situation. I think um, it well, had. There wasn't.
1: Actually, think like... if I grew around um, during that time, I think I would have been a Sega guy. I, I honestly would. I would honestly, I would prefer <laughs> the edgier um, Sega games. I, but the more um, cutting edge, the more. Um, they're, they're, they're not quite as child-friendly games of Sega. Like I would actually feel like I was a part of a new movement or something, like were, what you guys were trying to felt push. Like, it um, felt like
3: being part. And I think that Kiana yeah. described it pretty well, that it was like, like you kind of said the next level without using those words, that for you, it was like this more, Yeah. This, it was different than what you were used to. and It, it just, was, and then well, that marketing. Apple.
2: Apple had a similar marketing strategy as well. Yes, I feel they like did. you saw an Apple ad, and Apple, obviously incredible, it was like, okay, this is something different. This is a computer, but it's something else. Yeah. And that's, I yeah. think, what they were trying to do.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's, the, it's the whole scrappy upstart thing, you know, where you just have to, like, you have to fight tooth and nail for every single point that you get, every single purchase that you get. And I think that that can really light a fire under you. And then when you get up to the top, the hardest thing about it is maintaining that. Because like, you know, it's like our website too. It's like, we had this bump in traffic because we did another interview, you know, last week and stuff. And then, you know, I'm just preparing myself because I'm going to be like next week, the numbers aren't going to be that good, you know, because it's just like, it was such a sudden thing. But like, yeah, it's, um, the hardest thing is to maintain that. And I think that what, what Tom and the team were, you know, had they been able to go on with their plans, I think they would have. But SOJ said no. So yep. well so what was what in your opinion was the thinking behind like Nakayama turning sort of his back on on Tom and everybody? Like did he just have enough or was it pressure from somebody else or from his people over there in, I in wouldn't, Sega of Japan? I wouldn't say it was Nakayama.
2: It, I mean, it was portrayed as Nakayama as he was the face of SOJ, but you know, sake Sega of Japan and most japanese companies rule on consensus and i think a yeah. lot of it was just the fact that there was a jealousy that sort of genesis did not do well in in japan it didn't do well at all and so the way it, from what we understand nakayama and his you know his uh, team were 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 you know yelling at the sake of japan guys saying why aren't you as good as the us they're crushing oh. it you're not <laughs> well, yeah. and you know this it breeds yeah, and it breeds it breeds this sort of feeling of uh that, that, you know, this creates a bigger divide. You that pisses me off,
0: he, too, honestly. Um, and again,
2: I, I don't think it was actually just Nakayama directly. I think right, especially right. early on, Nakayama, you know, gave Tom the reins. But, you know, you know, once everybody else chimes in and for years of this, and who who knows, maybe Tom's success was too much for him as well. But I, I, I just don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, I'm asking you to speculate. But it's just like, you yeah. know, it, it, it was such a thing that was so um, – it it had built up, but also, you know, you would think that when they were riding high, you would think that they would have let them just keep going because they were winning. At least in America, they were winning. But um, there were a lot of moments.
2: The Senate hearings, I think, were kind of embarrassing for Japan as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, I think that they don't. That's not sort of what a Japanese company looks to get involved with. And in this sort of that that was a that congressional hearing made them look pretty bad. You know, and and yeah. you know, I think that's. That's yeah, so I think there's a lot of little factors that added up, you know. Yeah, I think so, it's also you
3: know, like remember, like the people that were making the decisions are business men and women, specifically not you know, at the top. You know, he had the final say or the biggest say, even if mm-hmm. you know, we, we shouldn't put all the blame at his feet. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 it reminds me of like in sports, that. like in sports, like you'll have an owner and he'll be, you know, there'll be like a free agent quarterback, and then you have like an in house quarterback, and if you're hearing 95% of the time from your in house people, they're like, oh no, he's the next Tom Brady, blah, blah, blah. And then you see someone else who's been doing well, but you're like constantly hearing one thing in your ear, and you're not a talent evaluator. Like Nakayama wasn't an engineer; he was mm-hmm. obviously good at assessing these things, but it wasn't his expertise. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you know, you can be persuaded into making decisions that you just you don't have the expertise to make, mm-hmm. um, and trusting
0: those around you. Yeah, true, true. And of course, you know, uh, Nakayama is brilliant. I mean, like to allow to even allow that to happen i mean he had to have some you know he had a lot of foresight basically and he was able to to bring about something that changed a lot of people's lives essentially like i consider this stuff life changing for me personally like had i not gotten into games and stuff i don't know what i would be doing in my free time frankly <laughs> but like there's um you know when it when it came down to it i feel I feel like there was a respect between the two companies between Nintendo and Sega like I know that there was probably a lot of animosity as well but but if Nintendo had not been respected by Sega they would not have worked as hard as they did to overcome them I think because
2: yeah,
0: yeah because of that whole you know because like Nintendo was the big dog and Sega knew it and they respected it and they knew that they had to compete at their level They knew that they would not be able to just overtake them on their own. So in a way it was, it it was like seeing two Titans battle. And I just, I miss that so much in terms of everything really in terms of the video game industry and, and, and not to get tribal about it because I mean, I'm pretty platform agnostic. The only console that I don't have right now is actually the Nintendo switch because I'm just happy with my Xbox and my PlayStation. And that's kind of where I get my gaming fix. But like, I don't know, like, it's just, you know, apart from a few things like Microsoft buying Bethesda now and having more of a back catalog and hopefully some exclusives coming out because Sony's just been kicking their butts in terms of that, but it, I miss the feeling of not knowing what was gonna happen and sort of having that sense of mystery about, you know, who was gonna come out on top, which is something that you had in that console war era And now you kind of just, everything is on Twitter. So, right, seems less interesting to me now.
1: I I just want to say, it it was nice actually to look back at a time when video games were just something that you had fun with. You know, like, I mean, nowadays we have stuff like microtransactions and GamerGate. And gamer gates and you know just you know and all these like people complain about the new last of us game and you know all, how bad the writing of that game was or yada yeah, yada. Yeah. it was nice to see like you know from the perspective of a kid in the 80s or in the 90s you know games were just they were toys and even the, in the even in the news stories they refer referred to these games as toys basically and that's kind of what they were, you know? They were just something that kids did after school or on Saturday morning. And it was just, I wish I grew up in that time, I really did, when there was no, you know, internet for um, kids to scream at each other, you know, at yeah. like the chat rooms and stuff, and like the forums, and and yeah, it was, this movie, it, it was a really refreshing slice of history, I think. It was very Same nice
3: for us. I mean, like we loved. Obviously, we loved this story, but it was just very refreshing for us to sort of escape from twenty nineteen, you know, or the past five years at times the noise and to just be lost in archival where it was generally optimistic and upbeat and yeah. non nasty. You know, like yeah. Even if it was a negative thing, it wasn't. It didn't feel like. It didn't feel like there was this vitriol that you often feel today on the it's internet. Set.
2: It was also important for us, even though there was this vitriol at times, it was fun to have sort of the animation help you take us into the world in a fun and lively way and, you mm-hmm, know, see mm-hmm. people's reactions to the ridiculous things other people say and just give it a lighthearted because, yes, it's a business story. This, isn't a, this is a war story, but it's not a war story, you know. This is a business story about, about, you know, obviously successful people, you know, bringing products to market, but also about games and about, you know, the happiness it brought to people and the, how these people were responsible for that in a very interesting way.
0: So did Shinobu uh, Toyota? Did he? Um, does he still work for Sega, or can you say, or or not?
2: No, he does not. He hasn't worked there since he was the last to leave, I believe. Right, Blake? What year did he leave?
3: Yeah, uh, I don't know exactly. Uh, he actually currently
1: works with Unity. It does. Oh. Yeah, game. Is he the one who still um lives in that comfort and hotel room? Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. That, that was I what I was going to
0: ask about was I was going to be still like, has the so, room there. he's still in that room. Wow. That's amazing. We, we interviewed him in that room. Man. Jeez. Yeah.
1: And he pays for that room every day.
2: Well, I think he has probably,
3: he probably a deal has like an
2: annual rate or something. But yeah, he's like <laughs> still pays for the room. It's because it's seven minutes from the airport. He, his family lives oh, in, Texas. in Japan and San Francisco, Perfect. seven minutes from the airport. Very convenient. I'd call it more of a -a (laughs) (laughs) pied-a-terre.
0: All right, guys. So I know you guys have to go uh, pretty soon, so um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. But, like, could you, just to clarify, so there is a TV series in the works?
2: There is. Uh, Blake and I are both executive producers on it. Uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg are are behind it.
0: That's awesome. Um, And it is
2: the current script version we are absolutely obsessed with. Uh, Mike Rosolia, who's an amazing Hollywood writer, wrote it. It's 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 incredible. It really captures the spirit of what we we love about the story. And also, you know, the Point Grey, Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg guys love it as well. It, and it's pretty rare you find a script that, you know, takes somebody else's material and then does it justice and everybody likes it all across the board. So we're really excited. We'll see what happens. Obviously, the CBS Viacom merger happened, slowed things down along with the COVID crisis. So uh, give us a little more time, and hopefully, we'll
1: have uh, something out.
0: Awesome, awesome! Can't All wait right. to
1: see it. I'll be the first uh, to check it out.
0: And if you guys ever want to come back on our show and just like talk about the TV series again and just hype it up, you know, we're willing to do that. Absolutely. So,
1: Excellent. this is a pleasure. Down.
0: This yeah. is an absolute pleasure having you guys on. So, um, can I ask you uh, just to wrap things up here? Uh, where can everybody find you online if they want to get in touch?
2: I'm on Twitter at Blake J Harris NYC. Mm-hmm. And I'm Twitter at at Jonah Tulis,
0: J-O-N-A-H-T-U-L-I-S. Awesome. All right. And Jacob, where can everybody find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter. I'm Joe Crable, K-R-E-H-B-I-E-L. And I am also on Facebook, Jacob Crable, K-R-E-H-B-I-E-L again. And you can also find me in the Renegade Pop Culture um, Facebook group.
0: All right. And that group is facebook.com slash group slash RPC 42 two. You can find me on uh, Instagram at neoplasmic 24 um, on Twitter at Keona Tang. That's K E O N A T A N G also uh, the renegade pop culture official Twitter, which is at Ren pop culture. And that's about it guys. All right. So we will see you next time. And remember Genesis does what Nintendo don't. Oh, I'm sorry. That's for the other guy. That was for the guy before Tom. Um, so just remember guys, Welcome to the next level, and play it oh, loud. Remember this, Sega! Sega! Sega, 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 Sega. All right.